right. Well, thank you, worship team. Well, Shabbat Shalom and Chodesh Tov. So, something's wrong with the sound. Is it better now? Maybe they just didn't have me on. Also, don't make me too loud. <laughs> All right. So I'll just talk, and they'll figure it out, right? So I, tomorrow, most of, or many of us are going to be participating in the Walk to End Genocide. As a Messianic Jewish community, we have a unique obligation to pursue social justice. This mandate is not just a hip cultural movement, but is deeply connected to our spiritual lives. The Torah makes clear that the pursuit of justice is holy work. It is a vital part of preparing the world for the return of Mashiach. The Torah repeatedly calls us to stand up for the downtrodden, to recognize every person as created, B'Tselem Elohim, created in the image of God. In Deuteronomy 24, we read, Lo tate mishpat gel yatom. You are not to deprive the sojourner or orphan of the justice, which is his due. And you are not to take a widow's clothing as collateral for a loan. Remember, rather remember that you were a slave to Pharaoh in Egypt and Hashem, your God, redeemed you from there. That is why I am ordering you to do this. The Torah considers the treatment of strangers a matter of justice. And it's interesting when it says uh, that you are not to mistreat the stranger and various ways of saying the same thing is the most repeated command in the Torah. There is no other command in the Torah that is greater in the sense of how many times it is mentioned. One of the important uh, concepts within hermeneutics, basically meaning the way you're supposed to read the Bible, is that whenever something is repeated, it means it's an emphasis, right? It's important. It's extra important. The more something is mentioned, the more important it is. Because the idea of repetition is supposed to drill within you whenever you hear it over and over and over and over again that this is a fundamental concept in the Torah. The way we treat strangers reveals our gratitude to God for redeeming us from Egypt. Therefore, we are further commanded in Deuteronomy, tzedek, tzedek, tildof, justice, only justice you must pursue. Why are we supposed to pursue justice? Because it says, so that you can live well in the land that the Lord your God gave you. According to the Torah, holiness is not some mystical, theoretical, you know, um, state of being an esoteric state of being, although we can have mystical experiences. Rather, it is a way of life and a pattern of action. To do holiness is to partner with God in bringing redemption into the world. We are instructed to weigh fairly, pursue justice, observe Shabbat and the mitzvot, and protect those who are downtrodden. Why? Because the Torah states, Anochi Hashem, I am the Lord your God, and you are to be holy as I am holy. I love the fact that the Torah has a whole Torah portion called Kedoshim, right? Which means holiness or holy things. It's doing holiness. And what is it? It's all the things that I just said, right? Instead of saying holiness is 
going off in the desert, you know, <laughs> fasting for 40 days. And like, I'm not saying those things are not important, but sometimes we confuse, especially in our Western world, the concept of holiness with some esoteric state we're supposed to feel instead of something that we do. Do you understand the difference? In our Western world, holiness is a feeling. In the Bible, it is an action. Holiness is the way that you treat other people and the world in which you create, which, may, which brings justice and makes justice for everybody who is a part of that society. In Leviticus 19, we read, Lo ta'amod al damra echa. Do not stand by, idly by the blood of your neighbor. Regarding this verse, the Talmud asks, what does the verse mean? Do not stand idly by your neighbor's blood. And it answers by saying, it means that if a person sees his fellow drowning, mauled by beasts or attacked by robbers, he is bound to save him. The rabbis clearly understood that when we see someone in trouble, we are commanded to act. And this goes beyond only when someone's life is in danger. In fact, the Talmud further states that all who can protest against something wrong that one of their family is doing and does not protest is held accountable for their family. A citizen of their city is held accountable for all citizens of the city and all who can protest against something wrong that is being done in the whole world is accountable together with all citizens of the world. From the perspective of the Torah, we must act whenever we see injustice, and if we do not act, we are personally responsible for the outcome. So what about the prophets? What do the prophets have to say about social justice? And obviously, we're just quickly running through this. We don't have time to do uh, an extensive study of justice in the Torah, but I gave you a few examples. So what about the prophets? The biblical prophets echo a call to social justice. Part of the prophetic role in calling the Jewish people back to covenant faithfulness includes a clear condemnation of injustice in all of its forms. According to the biblical prophet Isaiah, God requires action to accompany our faith. This is from Isaiah 58, 6 through 7. Here is the sort of fast that I want. By the way, this is the passage that we read on Yom Kippur. This is from the Haftarah of Yom Kippur. So here is the sort of fast that I want. Releasing those unjustly bound, untying the cords of the yoke, letting the oppressed go free, breaking every yoke, sharing your food with the hungry, taking the homeless poor into your house, clothing the naked when you see them, and fulfilling your duty to your kinsmen. According to Isaiah, a great reward accompanies those who take action to free the oppressed. The theme of social justice is so central to the theology of the biblical prophets that it is even described as a central component of messianic redemption. For example, Isaiah 61 is a central messianic passage and believed to describe the proclamation that the Messiah will make, right? And most of you have heard this before, Isaiah 61. The spirit of the sovereign Lord is upon me because Hashem has anointed me to announce good news to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom to the captives and to let out into the light those bound in darkness and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor, the favor of Hashem. In fact, we see this fulfilled in Luke 4, 16 through 22, where Yeshua stands up to read this Haftarah in the synagogue 
in Nazareth. After reading these exact words from Isaiah 61, Yeshua closed the scroll, returned it to the Gabai, and stated, Today, as you heard it read, this passage of the Tanakh was fulfilled. In this passage, Yeshua declared himself to be that messianic figure. Yeshua saw his role as the, what we say in Hebrew, mevasin, the bearer of not only a message of hope and good news, but of actual deliverance from physical, spiritual, and emotional oppression. We often think that when we hear the term good news as simply referring to the spread of the gospel message or to captives as being only those who are spiritually bound or those lost as only needing to know the message of Yeshua. We forget that there is a practical, physical concept and message behind the idea of the good news. By over-spiritualizing the text, it loses its practical message, an idea central to biblical theology, that the Messiah has come to bring about justice for the oppressed and actual freedom for those who are bound. It's not only spiritual, it's meant to ultimately be physical as well. According to the prophets, encompassed within the good news is a message of social justice. According to the Bible, they must go together, concerned for both the physical and the spiritual well-being of others, and they are equally important. Lastly, let's quickly explore the concept of justice in the apostolic writings. Yeshua was constantly concerned with people on the fringes of society. And this is exemplified best in what often we call the Beatitudes. In, uh, you can read this in Matthew 5. The Beatitudes are basically proclamations of hope to those who are oppressed. Think about the language that is employed in the Beatitudes. It is not about the rich, the lofty, or those who have it all figured out. Instead, it is the poor who inherit the kingdom. It is those who mourn who receive comfort, and those who hunger and thirst for righteousness who are filled. Furthermore, Yeshua links social action directly with himself. In Matthew 25, it states, For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you made me your guest. I needed clothes, and you provided them. I was sick, and you took care of me. I was in prison, and you visited me. Yes, I tell you that whenever you did these things, for the one of the least important of these brothers of mine, you did them for me. James, the brother of Yeshua, and the leader of the Messianic community in Jerusalem during the first century, states unequivocally, the religious observance that God the Father considers pure and faultless is this, to judge one another. <laughs> oh, wait, it doesn't say that, right? <laughs> to judge one another of being more, you know, oh, you're more this or you're more that. No, it says the religious observance that God the Father considers pure and faultless is this, to care for the orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being contaminated by the world. In Jewish thought, faith and action must go hand in hand. As James further states, what good is it, my brothers, if someone claims to have faith but has no actions to prove it? Is such faith able to save him? Let's sing, listen, saying faith alone, is it able to save him? And he says, suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food 
and someone says, depart in peace, keep warm and fulfilled without giving him what he needs. What good does it do? Thus faith by itself, unaccompanied by actions is alive or dead? It says it's dead. Sadly, we've often thought that all I need to do is go around and, you know, preach to you and that's enough. I don't want to belittle that because that's something that we're called to do. But it says faith unaccompanied by actions, right? That people who are hungry are not going to listen to you until they're fed. People who are bound need to be freed. As followers of the Messiah, we should be specialists in reaching out to those on the margins. For we follow a Messiah who knew how to embrace and empower those who were on the fringes of society. Yeshua reached out to those who were hurting, who were lost and oppressed. Yeshua got involved. We are required to speak out against injustice. For example, speaking out about modern forms of slavery, of human trafficking, violence against women, the rights of immigrants and minorities, and intervening whenever and wherever we witness injustice. As we embrace our own marginality as followers of Yeshua, we will in turn empower an entire generation located on the margins, searching for purpose and belonging. I want you to understand this. When this message was being written, the followers of Yeshua were not the majority. They were the minority. And not too long after Yeshua spoke these words, within just a few decades, the followers of Yeshua were being attacked and oppressed and persecuted and even murdered. The idea of reaching out to those who are on the margins is because we are the ones on the margins. When we're told in the Torah that we're supposed to treat the strangers in our midst the way that we would want to be treated, why? It's because it says you were strangers in the land of Egypt. You know what it's like. What goes around comes around. Someone who thinks that they're at the top doesn't take too long to find themselves at the bottom. How quickly the tides can turn. By speaking out for those who are oppressed and bound, we also further our role as the remnant of within Israel and as being a light to the nations. We must be involved in the world because it is a divine commission. We cannot sit around and try to hide from injustice or be so heavenly minded that we're of no earthly good. Tomorrow morning, myself, my wife Monique, Barbara Miner, and many others of you who have already signed up will participate in the Jewish World Watch's Walk to End Genocide. And this is probably my fifth or sixth time doing it myself. If you have not already signed up to do so, it's not too late. You can even sign up the day of and not only will this be a great opportunity as a congregation to participate in an event within the wider Jewish community, but it gives us something tangible that we can do to make a difference. Last year, I know we've mentioned this before, but our little synagogue was the biggest fundraiser for the, for the Kaneho Valley Walk to End Genocide. And guess what? It got people's attention. After that happened, guess what? Little things started to happen in for us, for example, we started to get a stack of Jewish journals on our 
you know, left at our door every Thursday morning. That's not something we asked to do. It's something we always wanted, but it was only when we, you know, when people can witness that we are a practical part of our wider community that we begin to be embraced. As a community, we will continue to be involved to a greater degree in our community and in the lives of others. This is why Karen and so many others of you, Angie and Lou and others, work so hard with our Helping Hands initiative and why in the past we've done work to support Holocaust survivors living in poverty and so many other vital programs. Our scriptures, our tradition, and our Messiah mandate that we get involved to be part of the solution rather than the problem. As, as the British statesman Edmund Burke once said, the only thing necessary for the, for the triumph of evil is for good people to do nothing. It's time to not stand idly by. We must be people who do something rather than nothing because justice is a matter of holiness. We must, we must be involved in the world around us because redemption hinges on each one of us doing our part to bring Mashiach now. Rabbono Shalom, Master of the Universe. We come before you on this Shabbat HaChodesh, this first day of the month of Nisan. As we begin 14 days from now to celebrate Passover, the ultimate fundamental story to our existence for those of us as Jews that tells the story of our redemption as a people. And our redemption was not just a story. It wasn't just spiritual. Moses didn't come to us and said, you know what, God wants to deliver you spiritually, but you can stay in bondage. He said, God wants to deliver you he wants to let you go from this place so that you can serve the living God. And that's what we are called to do. We are called to be an, to, and to make an impact in the world around us. That happens not only in words, but in deeds as well. So I pray, God, that you would really move within us the importance of not only following in your ways, but your ways have to do in the ways in which we live in the world around us. Help us, God, to pursue holiness, righteousness, and to bring true redemption into the world. We pray all of this in the name of Yeshua. Amen.